You're listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we firmly believe that love is the answer and we are spreading it like wildfire. You're invited to come spend time with us in authentic connection, growth, reflection, and celebration. Life coach, author, and speaker, Abigail Gazda, will be sharing amazing humans living their hearts unleashed to inspire you to do the same. You will hear from men, women, and young people from all industries sharing their insights and inspiration as they have paved their way to their fullest lives. Here at the Hearts Unleashed podcast, we are turning dreamers into doers. So if you are ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, you are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. You are listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast where we are turning dreamers into doers. And I have an amazing woman that I want to bring to you today, Susie Pruden. We met at an international speakers conference and it was incredible. And what she had to share from stage was simply incredible. She is an international woman and she is also the co-founder and president of Itty Bitty Publishing, which publishes Itty Bitty Books, a 15 simple informative step book that for experts in their fields of all kinds, and it's really an opportunity for people to share their expertise with the world in 15 simple steps. And I'm going to have her share a little bit more about that with you guys. But this woman, (laughs) I'm calling her worldly because she has such an incredible story and just I was blown away by all that she's achieved in her world and her life in the world. And this started at a very, very young age. So Susie, thanks for being here. I want to jump right in with you and invite you to start sharing your story. Well, thank you for inviting me, Abigail. And I have to ask you a favor because I do have a huge story. How much time do we have? (laughs) About 45 minutes. Go right ahead. Okay. All right, all right. 45 minutes is a long time. Having been a television personality, uh, 45 minutes is a, is a lifetime. Oh, yeah. I've done, I've done shows where I've, I was slated to do seven minutes, and at the two-minute line, something came up, and they said they did the cut. Yep. And I, had to, I was in the middle of a sit-up, and <laughs> I said, hold it right there, folks, and I'll see you next week. <laughs> so my career, my, my life, my dreams, well, I am... I would say someone who follows their dream mm-hmm. always and much to my mother's chagrin because when she told me I couldn't date the boy I was dating at the age of 19, I went ahead and married him. <laughs> well, you can't say to somebody, you can't see your husband. Mm-hmm. And so I am results oriented and I am a problem solver. That was a problem, so I solved it. And the result was I married him. <laughs> and then I we moved to New York City, which is where I'm from. And I had been in, in college in Pittsburgh. And uh, I had to then support him because he went back to school. Mm. My mother, Bonnie Pruden, is the nation's foremost fitness authority. She started the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports wow. in the 50s under Eisenhower. And I learned fitness obviously from a very early age. And so it made sense to me to start a fitness school. My mother did, so why couldn't I? Yeah. And I don't understand no, 
and I don't understand obstacles. They're just opportunities to figure something out. I want to jump in there with you right away because results-oriented problem solver and then like don't understand no and they're just opportunities to overcome obstacles. I think this is perfect where we are in the Hearts Unleashed podcast because, you know, it's all about turning dreamers into doers. And what do you say to someone stuck in that dream phase where they just aren't having things happen? That's a great question. It's like, get off the stick. I mean, there are people who stay in their story. And um, my assistant is a perfect example. When she came to me, she, she's sitting on the other side of the room and, um, now, and waving at me. When she came to me, she had a really, and she came to me as a client. Yeah. Um, she had a really dreadful story. And uh, she told it a couple of times, a couple of visits. And finally, I said, you can't tell your story anymore. Mm-hmm. And the reason I told her that is because we become our story. So dreamers who have the dream but don't do anything will often have the dream but the reasons why they can't have the dream. And then they get to live their reasons. So if you really want to know what you want, look at what you have, because what you have is created by what you're constantly thinking. Mm-hmm. When my sister and I created Itty Bitty Publishing, we were not publishers. Mm-hmm. This was only four years ago. It was an accident. Mm-hmm. And we just thought of it. It was a great idea. So we did it. And my attitude, and I say this to my clients, and I say this to my friends, is say yes and figure it out. So when dreamers get stuck in the dream, they're not really in the dream. They're stuck in the not having the dream. And I would say to people like that is look at all the reasons why what you make up, because we're making it up, and then uh, stop talking about those reasons. Just stop talking about it. Stop thinking of it. You can change your thoughts in the middle of a thought. Have you ever noticed that you're in a really negative place and you're, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, God, I feel awful. I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Well, then get out. Yeah. It sounds simple, and it is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. Yes, yes. And it's a practice, and it's a lifetime practice. Mm-hmm. I want to jump in there right there because, yes, tenfold. Like, I could not agree more. And I love that. Like, I'm grateful I asked that question and what came up of it because, when we're doers, right? Well, like it seems so. Well, just stop it. <laughs> stop with these. <laughs> and I, I, it's it's interesting because it's been coming up for me the last three days very prominently, and I feel like this is that peak moment where it's like you have to give up your right to have an excuse or a problem or a fear or a circumstance. Like you must give all of that away in order to step into action about what you want, and. I think that whatever stage that we're working through this stuff, like you're someone you said, I had a problem at 19. I couldn't date my boyfriend. So I married him. I solved the problem, right? Like that blows people's minds because there's so many people asking how, you know, you know, I don't know about you. Went down to the courthouse. What's that? <laughs> Went down to the courthouse. That's how. That's right. And it seems so simple. Right. And I think that when we're doers, we make it look easy as it, we make it look easy because we just choose or we just say so and we go for it. 
I've noticed more and more, the more I do that, people are like shocked by it. I was asked if I was a pathological liar at a party one time, mm. which I think is the best question I've ever been asked. Yes. And I say that wholeheartedly yeah. because I was the, talking to a friend of my cousin and I was just talking about my life. Yeah. And because she kept asking me questions. And that's when she said, are you a pathological liar? I said, why? She said, well, no one has a life like that. Yeah. And I said, I do. Yeah. She said, but nobody, I mean, it's and it's a long list. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and for me, that life that I have led is normal. So when something outrageous happens in my life, it's basically normal. Yeah, and uh, this was not normal for her. So she thought I was a pathological liar, and I I love that question. Other people would have been incensed by it, but I. I thought, wow, what a great question. And I tell people that that's the best question I've ever been asked. But I, I'm going to back up a, a minute to something that is totally related, but that is not part of my trajectory in terms of where I went in my life. Yeah. When I was a little girl, my mother was a world-class rock climber. But now her first climb that she ever, ever did was on her honeymoon, and it was the Matterhorn. Wow. That was her first climb. That is an A-plus climb. You have to be advanced to climb the Matterhorn. It was her first climb. So you know right away that I was brought up with a programming that said, basically, I can do anything. And when I was six, we lived in the East Coast, we were climbing in a climbing area called the Shawangunks. And I had my mother on one side of me. I'm roped in. And I'm being guided up. My mother's on one side of me and a friend of hers is on the other side of me. And we are climbing up this cliff. And this uh, memory came because someone asked me, what was a defining moment in my life? Mm -hmm. And I have so many of them, but I went back to this time when I was six. So we're climbing up this cliff. And if ever I had a problem, I'd say, boof to mommy, I had a lisp boost and she'd give me a little boost and I'd get the next handhold which was about an eighth of an inch wide and I got to the almost to the very top of the cliff we're 300 feet up and there's an overhang and my mother has to figure out how to get her six-year-old child up over the overhang but what she didn't know was that there was a fissure between the rock cliff and the outcropping of the overhang that was just big enough for someone as little as me to get through. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see the obstacle. Mm -hmm. So she's now trying to figure out how to get me over the overhang, which I didn't even see because all I could see was the fissure going up to the top. I just kept climbing. She turned to help me. I was gone. Imagine what, what that felt like to her. Oh, she goes, oh my God, where's Susie? And I looked over the top of the cliff and I said, I'm right here. Oh and then God. I showed her what I did. Yeah. So that was a defining moment because I don't see obstacles. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I think people need to focus on, instead of focusing on the obstacle, which makes life very, very difficult, mm -hmm. look for the fissure. Look for the way to get through it. It's like the obstacle with dating my boyfriend was that my mother said, you can't date him, okay? The obstacle was dating, so I married him. 
I think that's going to be my favorite example forever, by the way. <laughs> when I tell that, I use that in my talks a lot. The audience does enjoy it. The other thing is that when I started my first business, I didn't know anything about business. So I didn't know it was going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. I just did it. Yes. And when I started doing media, I didn't realize that it was a big deal. I called the studios. I told them who I was and what I did. And they booked me. I was good at it. And they booked me again. Yeah. So it's really an attitude. And we are at choice with our attitude I love it so much. So Abigail, if you think of something in your life right now where there is an obstacle, if you look at it, how can you see getting around it or over it or under it? Mm -hmm. I want to respond to that with, it's interesting that what I, like what I'm most present to is those obstacles aren't outside of me. Right. Yeah they're all in internal, right? It's that yes. it's all my fears or it's like, it, it's mainly mine. What I've looked at and saw the most in my life is my fear of rejection, you know, wanting to be a speaker or wanting to be a coach. The coaching was my first, you know, like biggest swing at a business. Right. And so asking to be hired and thinking that my livelihood would come from having people say yes to me the fear of rejection was just uprooted <laughs> and yeah. right to me. I had to stare right at it. And that became very challenging. It became, um, it became the next thing to grow through. And I right. do very much like you are in the way that if it presents itself now, it's just a matter of time before I figure out how to <laughs> overcome that challenge and obstacle and much like that. And another way of looking at it is if it presents itself, and obviously the universe or God or whatever you call the greater force yeah. says you're ready to move to the next step. Time, yeah, totally. When I was a child, again, um, I was a, an equestrian. Mm -hmm. And I started riding when I was two, but I started seriously taking lessons when I think I was six or seven. And um, there was a hierarchy in the barn of the easy horses were in one area and then you move down the barn and the horses that were more difficult to ride were further down the barn. Mm -hmm. And I remember the day I walked into my riding lesson and the secretary said, you're riding temptation today. <laughs> and my heart just went, oh my God, because temptation had a very, very spirited reputation. <laughs> so two things happened. One, I was terrified, and two, I was proud. Mm -hmm. Because if Mr. Fisher told, thought I could ride temptation, then obviously I could ride temptation, even if I didn't think I could ride temptation. I love that, yeah. And that's how my life has always been. This is funny. When things start to get easy, I'm given an opportunity to move through a more difficult time because obviously I'm ready for it yeah. or it wouldn't be given to me. I, yeah, I want to pause you right there because I think we all have those times and depending on where our mind is, our mindset, we think it's the reason to stop and stay stuck, like quit, like hide out. 
from that stuff that gets tough, or we see it as the invitation to grow. There's that duality to it. Yeah. And to stop means you're going backwards. Yeah. And to move forward, it may be scary, but, and fear is not, Susan Jeffers wrote a great book in the 80s called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because fear is not going to go away. You gave fear the job of scaring you. Yeah. And so fear is going to do a good job. Mm, I love that. Every single part of us, we gave that part the job to do what it does. Mm -hmm. And we are many, many facets within one being. And all of our parts get to play Mm -hmm. at some time. And sometimes they cause us a great deal of difficulty. And sometimes they cause us great success. Yeah. With that being said, what would you say, because you're very well versed in overcoming those obstacles, what would you say has ever been your biggest obstacle, your biggest challenge? I've had so many. I think that my biggest challenge is the one when I um, ended up broke and homeless. Mm. That was a big challenge um, because I didn't know what to do. And I had to make stuff up literally moment to moment. I never had to live in my car, but I didn't have, like my assistant just said, I have. (laughs) So it's not, you know, been there. Um, Homelessness is not, um, there's a lot of people who've had that experience that I've met. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity, I think, to be extremely creative, number one but also to work very hard on not hating yourself. Yeah. yeah. I was mortified. Yeah. First of all, I was rich. Mm-hmm. I was a celebrity. Mm-hmm. I had a New York Times bestseller. This is before the internet. I did Oprah eight months previously. Mm-hmm. And the show was all about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this rich celebrity, hotshot, doesn't pay attention to her life and ends up losing everything and spending the next 10 months living in different beautiful places, but not mine. My, my stuff lived in storage and I lived on the road. Yeah. And it was very scary. And I had to figure out on a moment to moment basis, how to survive, how to make money. Being homeless is actually in one sense easier. You don't have a lot of bills. Yeah. I had a phone card and I had a car. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of really, really fantastic friends. Yeah. And I was also very talented and I was famous at the time. So I'd end up like the first week after I lost everything, I was at Rancho La Puerta for the week teaching. And that's a five star spa. So I may not have a home to go back to, but I'm certainly okay right now, right there. Yeah. And I think that was my greatest challenge. And the biggest challenge within that was the shame. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that or what it took to overcome it, because I think we're all going through things. And no matter what level of evolution we're at, shame can really grip us. I had to work hard to pull myself out of the actual physicality of being homeless I had to work really hard to uh, change my ways because obviously my ways got me there. 
I had to think and work very hard to focus on, okay, it's not about spending money, it's about making money so I can survive. Because mm-hmm. at one point, you know, after I sold my business in New York and I, I had a lot of money, I was a stupid spender. Mm-hmm. And that happens to a lot of people. Just mm-hmm. I was a stupid spender. Well, I st- stupid spended myself into homelessness. <laughs> and um, that's why I was so shamed. And because I, I, I really believed I let people down. Yeah. And so I continuously studied and worked on myself. Getting through to the point where I could reclaim my self-esteem took about five or six years. It really took a long time. Yeah. And it was in the middle of owning my hypnosis center. I had four offices and it was a weight loss center and I had 11 employees and all of a sudden I looked at it and said, wow, I'm back. Got it. And that's when I began to relive my self-esteem, mm-hmm. release my shame, and be able to hold my head up. Because mm-hmm. I was in a place before that where I was so unbelievably embarrassed, mortified, shamed. Because mm-hmm. I did it to myself. Nobody did it to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I speak to the difference between ha- having a failure in life and then saying, I'm a failure. You know what I mean? Like having a breakdown versus making it mean something about us. What's your perspective on that? Failure is an opportunity to grow. The only way you really fail is if you allow the failure to keep you down. Yeah. yeah. I was at choice. And it was an interesting experience being at that choice because homelessness does plays tricks with your mind. Um, there's a line, a definite line between allowing yourself to step one way and become a bag lady which means that you have no responsibility other than to just stay alive mm-hmm. or to step the other way, reclaim your life, face the music, so to speak, mm-hmm. work really hard and regain your life. Yeah. And when you're in that place and I was in that place mm-hmm. and I was looking at it very seriously mm-hmm. Because if I had stepped one way into the oblivion of homelessness, I would have disappeared. And when you're in that mindset, it's almost compelling. Mm -hmm. It's like, come here, come here, Mm. come here. That's why when you speak to people who are homeless, they, many of them are Mm -hmm. okay with it. They don't want to go back to the world that I chose to go back into. Yeah. Um, some do, some don't, Mm -hmm. but, um, I chose to come back Mm -hmm. and it was a memorable experience in my mind to go through that. Yeah. And you said you, was the next step for you to begin? Like, how did you get to opening up the hypnosis center? Like, what was that growth period right there? I was in Maui. This is when I was homeless. Yeah. Yeah. At a taking a 
a friend of mine had a school there and she was so sweet. She knew I needed a place to stay. So she said, please come take my course. Yeah. So I, I did. So I'm in Maui for six weeks on the beach. Yeah. And I went to a, I stayed a little longer and I went to a Thanksgiving party where I met a wonderful woman by the name of Shelly Stockwell, who's a hypnotherapist. And we became instant friends. And when I came back to Los Angeles, I smoked at the time. This was in 91 mm-hmm. or 90. And um, I went to her to stop smoking. Yeah. And she said, um, if you know anybody who wants to become a hypnotherapist, let me know. I said, I do. Mm-hmm. She said, good, you've been doing it for 20 years. Now you'll know what you're doing. <laughs> so I became a hypnotherapist. But as you know, as a coach, then I had to market myself. Yeah. And I made very, very little money, barely enough to survive. Yep. Until a friend of mine came to me and said, I have this wonderful idea. There's a company in Virginia Beach. They're teaching hypnotherapists how to make a million dollars with their center. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she said, it's $5,000. I'm going to do it. Would you like to come with me and be my partner? And it'll only cost us each $2,500. And I said, yes, but I don't have the $2,500. May I pay you over time as we make money? She said, yes. Nice. So we went to Virginia Beach. We signed up as licensees for positive changes hypnosis. We came back. We opened up an office in Beverly Hills. We had one little tiny room. Hmm. We took turns. One of us would sit in the waiting room while the other one did a client. And then the other one would sit in the waiting room while we grew it. Yes. And then I bought her out and she opened up another one up in Santa Rosa. Yeah. And then I just grew my business. I mean, it, then I opened up four more offices in Los Angeles. I just, the way it happened was we would reach a stuck point. And then I think, okay, we're at a stuck point. What do I have to do to make more money? <laughs> so I opened up another office. Yeah. And, but I did it differently in, in the office that we had in Beverly Hills. We had treatment rooms, we had classrooms, and we had a lecture room. When I opened up in the, uh, the annexes, so to speak, it was just one room where we did it. Most, we had people come in, and then we did phone sessions. So I opened up an annex in West LA, and it worked two half days a week. Then I opened up one in Malibu, and after two months, we had two clients. I closed it. Then we opened up one in Venice. It worked, so I kept it open. Nice. Um, then that didn't work, so I closed it and opened up one in Marina del Rey, and that worked for about a year and a half, still having the one in Beverly Hills. And then my sister said, why don't we try, because I had two territories, and one of my territories, the, the I couldn't go down below El Segundo Boulevard. So we opened up in El Segundo, and I made $32,000 in two half days. And I thought, "Mm, I think this is the place to be. Yeah, sounds about right. It sounds about right. So I made more money in my little tiny El Segundo office than I made in all of my other offices combined. Nice. And then 2008 came, and the writing was on the wall, and I watched it, and I kept downsizing and downsizing and downsizing, and finally my franchisor said, you can't pay the franchise fee year out. I said, thank you, God. Yeah. Really, seriously, it was a very hard business to run. I believe that. And uh, 
I closed the business and eight days later opened up Suzy Pruden International and I started working with entrepreneurs. I love it. And I did weight loss because that's what I had been doing for 10 years, but I was more excited about entrepreneurs and I was starting to meet more entrepreneurs. Of course, yeah. And I did coaching with them, but added hypnosis so that, because coaching by itself is a very powerful tool. When you add the hypnosis, it becomes more powerful. Oh my gosh, I couldn't agree more. Or like, I just want to promote it right now, but keep going. (laughs) Um, And I had that business until, oh, I still have it. I still do that. But in 2014, Christmas, my sister was here in my house. We were looking at a book that I'd asked her to change the cover. And she did. And in changing the cover, it was a a weight loss book because that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, she took my name off the cover. Now, my name has been on everything that I've done since 1965. <laughs> and like any performer or teacher or person who is out in the public, we tend to have large egos. <laughs> and we couldn't do what we did if we didn't. Sure. Um, but the ego, you have to be very careful with the ego that it doesn't take over, which is what happened to me when I lost everything. Yeah. So my ego had a blip. My name was off the book. I said, you took, I have to say, bless you. <laughs> I, um, I, I, uh, after I, I looked at the cover and my ego did its number, it had said Susie Pruden's Itty Bitty Weight Loss Book. And what my sister did, she changed it to Your Amazing Itty Bitty Weight Loss Book. And I looked at that. And my ego did this little number. And then I looked at her and I said, you know, actually, that's a million dollar idea. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to write the books. And we were in business four days later. We created a new corporation, S&P Productions, Susie and Petey. That's my sister's nickname from childhood, Susie and Petey, S&P Productions. We have Itty Bitty Publishing, which is the publishing company that does the small books with the 15 steps or 15 chapters. Mm-hmm. And then we have another publishing company within that company called Legacy Press for people who have to tell their story. Yeah. As itty bitty publishing, we have no story. It's all, what do I need to know to do this? What do I need to know to do this? Mm-hmm. And so that's the evolution of basically how I create a business. And when I drive my sister, who's my business partner and my assistant, absolutely crazy because when I'm in a position where I need money, I make up another arm of the company. Yeah. And um, whereas it works, our workload is intensified. Yeah. I get that. And I wanted to say, great intro. <laughs> and like, First off, it's a tip of the millionaire mindset is to have multiple streams of revenue, which is you have a millionaire mindset. Let's just start there. You know, it's it's perfect. And um, it's so wonderful. I, I want to have you explain itty bitty because I'm sure there are people out there because this is meant for experts to, you know, send out their how it's a how to book. Like you, I think I heard you reference it about um, it's the new age the new it's stuff. the new dummies yeah yeah dummies books are 350 pages you have to read with a yellow highlighter yeah. 
itty bitty books are the yellow highlights. Oh, I love that. So when you get an itty bitty book, you know you're not going to get an abundance of words. The problem with long books, first of all, 95% of Americans don't read anymore. Mm, I know. And we all need information. <laughs> and if you can get information in sound bites, you'll keep reading. So we've set it up with Itty Bitty Publishing. Every single book is 15 chapters. Each chapter is two pages. You have your first page of the chapter, which is numbered sentences and paragraphs, and the second page of each chapter, bullet points, supporting the first page, and sending people to the author's website, where they have videos, they have audios, they have webinars, they have all the things that the person needs that they can then choose to utilize at their pace. Yeah. Instead of having it all in one book. I love that. It's an itty bitty course. Well, what I like to do, and I had a great conversation with a new author today, is then help my authors take their books and turn them into certification programs. Ooh. So they can take their uniqueness. Mm -hmm. So book positions you as an expert. People look at you differently when you have a book. Yeah. And they buy you differently when you have a book. Yeah. People don't make money from book sales. They make money from what they create from their book. We have one author who's gone from $100,000 a year to $750,000 using his book as a marketing tool. And I tell people your book is not your business card. It's your business builder. I like that. And so what I like to do, because I'm a business strategist and I love business, it just turns me on. I, I, I get ideas and ideas and ideas, is take a person who has a simple idea for a book, and then say, well, then you can do this, and then you can do this, and then you can do this, and then you can do this. So, yes, it's a millionaire mindset because you can take a book and turn it into 15 different products. Yeah, of course. I love that. And right there, I wanted to, you were sharing about your hypnotherapy, and you said stuck point, stuck point, stuck point. And I want to bring that in right here about your book being like could be 15 different products that you use because I think where sometimes we'll max out is like oh man those that's the end of the road for that one and we either have to close up shop like you said but you just talk about it so fluidly like oh uh, that one didn't work for two for two months and I had stuck point stuck point and like your ability to pivot is impressive and it's something to look to and say, okay, how do I do that? How do I reach that? But say a little bit more about what it looks like to just see the stuff point and then move on, taking away all the emotion out of it. Well, I have to look at it in a way that if something isn't working, keeping doing it isn't going to make it work. Yeah. It's the old saying, um, what is it? Uh, doing something over and again, over and again is a definition of insanity. Expecting different results is a definition of insanity. Yeah. So if something's not working, why keep doing it? Yeah. Um, my marriage didn't work, so I got a divorce. Yeah. I mean, some people stay married forever to the person that they said they would marry because they said they would marry them. Okay. That's one way of doing life. I chose to leave. Yeah. Uh, when I opened Malibu and it didn't work, I thought I'm throwing money away. Closed Malibu. We've got two people there that come to Beverly Hills. 
I did the same thing in um, Hollywood. I opened up an office there. It didn't work. I closed it. Yeah. But when I opened up El Segundo and made $23,000 in one week, in two half days, I thought, obviously, this is a place that's going to be able to support me. Yeah. So, you, you know, look for clues. Yeah. And you have to decide what's more important in the moment. And the ego is a very interesting player in your cast. Mm-hmm. It'll very often try to keep you in a place that you need to leave because it doesn't know how to do the new thing. Thank you. And it's trying to protect you mm-hmm. by keeping you in the old thing, but the old thing isn't working. So you have to take your ego by the hand, literally, and say, I got to run this one. Yeah. Which is what I did. I said to my ego, you can't run this program right now. I got to run it. Yeah. I love it so much because same thing for job. Cause we're, I remember dreamers and to doers. There's so many people sitting in a corporate office at a desk working for someone else's dream as opposed to their own saying, I gave my word to this. We become a victim of our own word. Or like you said, staying in a relationship that no longer serves you. We may have naturally outgrown it or grown apart or whatever. And it's just so interesting to me because we, are more you can I heard this quote and it's made the big one of the biggest differences in my life is you can stay right or you can have your way. Harvekar says you can be right or you can be rich. Ooh, I like that one too. T. Harvekar he created the Millionaire Mind Intensive, which is a fun, fun, fun workshop. Yeah, oh, I did it years and years ago. Um, it's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I when I'm working with coaching clients. I say to them, you know, you're always, and this is important for everybody listening. Yeah. You're always going to get to be right. What do you want to be right about? Yes. If you say, I am miserable, you're going to get to be right. You, yep. That's the winner's creed, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Right. If you say it's okay to be wealthy, mm-hmm. you're going to get to be right. Yeah. If you constantly repeat your negative stories from the past, you're going to create new negative stories going forward. You have to literally check them at the door. Yeah. I just shared that with our listeners on last Monday's 15-minute fill-up about the way that we just project all of our evidence from the past into the future And we insist that's the way life is like so matter of fact, so solidified. And it's just not like you, you, you don't have that staying right process is just never, it doesn't serve us. And well, actually let me shift that because if you're intentional about what you want to be right about, like that obstacles are opportunities. That's, that's a thing to be right about. That's going to serve you elevating and evolving. Right. But said one other way is that you're always winning the game that you're playing. Right. I love that one. It really blew my mind because I started to actually, for the first time in my life, I got curious about what games am I playing? Yeah. It shifted everything. And where am I choosing to be a victim? Yeah. And where am I choosing to be a, a, um, a leader, call it a leader, yeah. um, a game changer, mm-hmm. a, um, a force of power. Yeah. Yeah. And I do know 
who I am. And it's real clear when I'm in a room Mm -hmm. that I know who I am. Yeah. And everybody else does too. Mm -hmm. And I am very polarizing Mm -hmm. in that people either really like me or they really don't. Yeah. And I'm okay with both. I don't really care if people don't like me. It's not my problem. Yeah. It's not. I love it so much because I was so much a people pleaser growing up and it took just a few years ago before I started breaking that up. So that was that before my listening of that would have been so triggering, you know, like, Oh my God, what do you mean? Like, why would you want people to not like you or not get you or not accept you? I love, I thrived on validation and acceptance. Right. And so that would have tore me up. However, now go ahead. Here's what I say. I say, what you see in me is who you are. Yes. And so if you don't like something in me, you better start looking inside of you. Yes. <laughs> and if you like something in me, look inside of you. Yes. It's only a mirror, as are you to me. Mm-hmm. I want to teach and, the distinction there is spot it, got it. I used to see, like, I would, <laughs> I would notice the loudest person in the room and be like, who, ugh. Who's that? That's like as obnoxious about me. I love being loud and, and the center of attention and dancing on stage. Yeah. It's what you see is who you are. I was in a workshop years ago. And when I first became a coach, which is 1987. Yeah. And there was a woman in there that I immediately disliked. Immediately disliked. Yeah. And so I figured, okay, since I immediately dislike you, I better get to know you. Yeah. And the, the program was six weeks. And so... During that time, we became very good friends, and I, I, then I finally understood what triggered me, and it was all about what was I was uncomfortable with in myself, but I knew since I had immediate dislike of her, I had to get to know her. Mm. What would okay? What would be possible if everyone did that? Well, we'd have an easier time, I think, in life. I think that there would be less friction. I think people would start to be more comfortable with themselves and therefore more comfortable with their lives because if they're constantly growing and learning and looking and all of that, they can see where things aren't working and create a way of making them work, finding a way of making them work, Mm -hmm. finding a way of creating literally peace in the world and that, Peace in politics, hello. Mm -hmm. Peace in the classroom, peace at school. Um, Bullying would not be part of our life because bullies only bully people because they're insecure and they're damaged. Yeah. And it would make a big difference, but I'm not going to hold my breath for that to happen. I'm just going to keep doing what I do and help enough people in my sphere yeah. And those people help people in their sphere so it grows. This is what you're doing. Yeah. Especially with, with your with your podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes a difference. Totally. So you make a difference by doing what you do. Yes. And I think this is a it's like the the best spot is or the ripple effect is what I call it. I love your fear, yeah. right? And so, because I'm just such a firm believer that as long as we're all doing our part in that, that it truly would create the impact. It would cause that difference because 
for me personally, the way that I say it is that I'm not going to put shoes on every foot. I'm not going to put food in every mouth, right? but I can unleash every heart who has the heart to do it. Yeah. I just have that commitment. So I just want to, I just want to thank you for bringing your heart and your impact and your mission and cause to the Hearts Unleashed program and podcast. Thank you. I'm really um, glad to be here. Um, I'm going to tell you something funny. I love talking about myself. <laughs> you. <laughs> but you know, Truly, everybody does. Yes. You know, we are the most important person in our lives. So you give people the opportunity not only to hear what people like I have to say, but people like me an opportunity to just play with who we are and who we've been Mm -hmm. and to like ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, it's fun to like yourself. Yeah. You do a very good service and Hearts Unleashed is important because as long as we keep them walled up, we're not fulfilling our destiny. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that invitation for our listeners to really learn to like yourself because I believe that when we do accept not only who we are, but like those innate gifts and whatever we're feeling so called to do when we just give up the shit and then honor those callings, like that's where hearts unleashed turns into, you know, ripple effect and and tidal waves of difference and impact. And here's an important part of liking yourself. Mm. It's not just about liking nice things about yourself. Yeah. It's also about liking the things that are not so nice about yourself. Yeah. And my cat, this is funny, is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. I believe that our animals are a mirror image of who we are. Oh, yes. And so I got this little rescue kitty five months ago. She's an Abyssinian and she was very, very damaged as a kitten in another home. I don't know exactly what happened, but I have an animal communicator who said that it was very rough on her. Mm hmm. And, and she's a very sweet little girl. Mm-hmm. And she can be nasty, hiss, spit, bite, uh, really nasty. Yeah. And so I'm looking at this the other day and I went, wow, that's me in a nutshell. I can be really sweet and I can be the biggest bitch in the world. <laughs> yes. And it's important to like both aspects. Yes. Yeah. You know, to write in that is what you resist persists. Right. If you're not willing to accept it and you just keep rejecting, it's going to knock your damn door down. You might as well start liking it. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's, 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 you gave every part of you the job of being that part of you. Yeah. I love the the work of Debbie Ford is the, um, can't remember what she called it. Um, but it's really the, the flip side of everything. We are the flip side of everything. Yeah. So where we're light, we're light, but at the same time we have the darkness. Yeah. Where we can be sweet, we can be a bitch. Mm-hmm. I changed my cat's name because it, her name when she came to me was Zuri, which means warrior. And she uh, really was. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, what do I want her to be? Mm-hmm. And I want her to be a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. So I changed her name. Mm-hmm. And she's sweeter than she was. And we're going through a little bit of a challenging time this week because I've been away a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we just have to get back on the even keel. But yeah, we, we are at all. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because the more that we accept that it's really about us being unleashed, like the authenticity of that we do have a dark side, you know, because we want to try to be all nice, nice. And that it's just not real. No. Having the permission. It's boring. It is. Oh man. And it's like, you know, I'll tell you what, there's so many times I like at this point I can do it with grace, but before I like refine that skill, I could sense when people were being inauthentic and I just was like, I don't like that. Like, I don't even, I'm not even meeting you. You know, it's like a meeting half of you. Yeah. And it wasn't very engaging to say the least. So I've learned how to pull that out of people. It's much more fun now. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Yeah. So Susie, we're going to begin to wrap this up. And I just want to um, thank you first off for, for being here, for showing up. But where can people meet with you, contact you? How can we follow up with what you're doing? The easiest way is to go to my website, which is www.ittypublishing.com. And there's a form there that you can fill out and say, I want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to have a conference with you. I want to talk to you about publishing. Um, But it's a way if you fill that out, I'll call you. You can call me directly. My web, my, my phone is 310-640-8885, 310-640-8885. And if you contact me, um, I will send you, uh, you're going to like this, I will send you an MP3 with four hypnosis processes on it to help you make more money and four hypnosis processes on it to help you write a best-selling book if you want to. Um, Do you know who uh, Greg Reed is? I do not. He wrote Three Feet from Gold. He works with the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Yes, I have heard the Three Feet from Gold, yeah. Okay, so he listens to my wealth CDs, and he told me he tripled his income in one month listening to my wealth CDs. So if any of you want to make more money, just contact me and say, send me the MP3. I'll send you the link. I won't send you, the, you know, I'll just send you the link. Yeah. Um, but that's a way so that I can give you something to take into your future that will help you grow your income. And if you choose to write a book, to write a book. And if you want to do an itty bitty book, we can talk about that. If you want to do a legacy press book, we can talk about that. Yeah. And we have compilation books where you write one chapter um, and we even have a word book and my assistant is ready to fire me <laughs> truly because she's working on it right now and we're chasing 300 authors. And do I have enough time to tell you a really good story? You sure do. Okay. <laughs> the word book was one of those moments when I got an idea and it was a year ago in November, and I was at a networking group. I network a lot. And I was talking to the head of the networking group as a friend of mine. I said, you know, it's interesting. I have full books where an author writes a full book. I have chapter books where 15 authors are in one book on business or one book on health and wellness or one book on coaching. They have, they have two pages in that. I have a quote book where you can create a quote and put it in the book. And it's each thing is a different price point. Mm-hmm. 
And then jokingly, I said, why don't I create a book of words? You buy a word, pay me $100, buy the word, give me the 15 word definition, and we'll put it in a book. Ah, kind of like a dictionary, kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Only okay. it's your word, not that you made up. You can make it up. Some people did. Yeah. And I sat down at the table and I mentioned it and people thought it was a good idea. I called my sister on the way home and she said, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> and so I said, Pet Rock. And four days later, I'm in the mastermind group that I belong to with Craig Duswalt, mm -hmm. old rock star mastermind. Mm -hmm. It's about marketing. Mm -hmm. And I chose to be the first in the hot seat. And I'm talking about my idea about my word book. And Craig is standing behind me. And he said, I'll buy a word. I said, you will? He said, yeah, it's a good idea. So I turned to the group. There were 35 people in the room. And I said, how many of you want to buy words? 26 people raised their hands. So I made $2,600 $2, that day. Okay. I called my sister and told her, and then we added to it. We added a photograph and a bio. So now it costs 150 And it, you can't get into it now. You might be able to get into the next one, but this one's closed. Yeah. And uh, we hope to get it out in the spring. That's awesome. But that was one of those ideas. Why don't I create a book of words? I love it. I also just love your choice, your, the power of your choice. Because decisions are based on circumstances and considerations, but you just choose and go. And I'm, yeah. I'm in love with it. it it's, it's beautiful. So thank you for bringing your word book and your power of choice here. Thank you. Yes, thank you. It makes life more fun for me. It sure does. I, I don't know how to live within other people's structure. I get it. I feel you. And I'd much rather invite people into this structure because, I mean, it's just, there's so much play here. And, you know, people are often confused by, you're up to so much. And I that I feel very much the way you're speaking is like, I got 97 projects going. <laughs> I got that too. It's like just, it's so much fun though, because there's adventure there. There's play, there's discovery and creation. For me, the real ticket, the hot ticket's creation. All of that yeah. freedom to just create and bring it into reality and see what you how it looks. It's like painting a picture, but with words for me and for you. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I love working with my authors the way I do, because I get to help them create bigger businesses from what they thought they had. Totally. And, you know, um, I just actually would love to, to jump in because you offer this meditation to the listeners and I want to attest to it because I received your meditations for the books. Now, obviously I've written my own already. However, I found it incredibly beneficial. It was just, for me, it was more, it was that affirmation that like, uh, it was like a breath of fresh air as I was listening and I felt my, oh, thank you. yeah, it was great. My energy was shifting and I caught myself smiling and feeling a little bit lighter and being an author already, I was really tapping into, um, there are people reaching out to me all the time about, I've had this book that I've been working on for years. And I'm like, what? Like, that should be weeks and days and months, like not years. You know, when are you going to start doing it? So I think this is a great, what you offer is incredible for stop dreaming and start doing. So thank yeah. you for being someone who shifts those people into do doing. You're welcome. It's fun. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for tuning in or well, showing up to the Hearts Unleashed podcast and hearts. Thank you for tuning into the Hearts Unleashed podcast. This has been such a fun 
conversation. I am so glad that you're here with us. And if you loved this episode, if you can think of someone who would be impacted by it, please tag, share, send, whatever you want to do, but continue to be part of the ripple effect that we are causing of turning dreamers into doers. Today's Hearts Unleashed podcast is brought to you by Palmsy, a super comfy sock company committed to sharing your message straight from your heart, right through the bottom of your feet. Your host, Abigail Gazda and Palmsy have joined forces to bring you the Hearts Unleashed collection filled with inspiring socks and mugs. Sip your inspiration out of the new mug and come cozy up with us as you tune in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. You can also give the gift of motivation to your loved ones by grabbing their next new favorite pair of socks at Palmsy on Etsy. Thank you for joining us on this journey where we are achieving our dreams one step at a time. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you loved the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, head over to heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, hearts.